Welcome to our yet untitled podcast. We are three guys, Ricardo, Matthew, and myself, Benji. We're going to talk a little bit about a little bit about ourselves so we can introduce ourselves to the audience, to the whoever is going to make the time to listen to our little bants thing that we're doing here in my bedroom, in my well, in my studio den, I like to call it. So, let's talk a little bit about ourselves. Ricardo, you go first. Right. What do you want to know? <laughs> Everything. All the darkest um, secrets that you have. Very well. Um my name is Ricardo, um, 25, um, born in London, but raised in Italy, parents Italian, so I'm a bit bilingual. Um, I wouldn't say I'm new to the London life, I think I'm quite, I consider myself kind of somewhat British, um, with Italian roots in a way, so I guess I've lived my whole life saying, I've lived my whole life hearing kind of like, oh where are you from? In Italy it was like, oh you're from the UK. You're that guy from London. I'm like, no, mate, like, I'm from here. Like, but then when I moved here, it's like, you're that guy from Italy. I'm like, what? So I've always had that identity kind of clash. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I like to consider myself British, but but an Italian kind of, with Italian roots in a way. But yeah, that's me. Um, Amazing. Enough about myself. All right. Otherwise, we have to do shoot a whole podcast. Oh, well, I mean, that's the point, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, pardon my uh, my cough and everything. I have asthma, so sometimes I might get you might hear a little gargle. It's kind of gross, but just bear with me. It's part of the whole experience. Yeah. Matthew. That's cool. Yeah. Hello. My name is Matthew. I'm from England. I'm English or British. Mm. Um, yes. I was born in Hereford, Herefordshire. Where is that? That is. <laughs> where, where is that? <laughs> so that is kind of Midlands, but in the west, so on the Welsh border. Um, but then when I was two or three, uh, my parents moved to the Lake District in the northwest. I didn't know that. I thought you were, I thought you were born and raised in the, in the Lake District. No. Oh, okay. No, I was born right. in Hereford. The only significant thing, I, I, well, I don't even remember it in any way, but the only significant thing that happened to me in Hereford was I broke my arm. Wow. That's... At, at some kind of... Damn. You broke your what? My arm. You broke your arm? Yes. Before you were three? Yeah. How do you... Did your mum wow. broke you? <laughs> no, not even sure he was dropped as a child. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's why I am the way I am. <laughs> yeah, so... are you sure it's just the arm that they broke? Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. So I think I was out at some kind of play group or something, and, and just broke my arm. We never really established what happened. Wow. So where are you from now? I guess. Well, would you so, move to? Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember that. So I'm from the Lake District. Okay. That's that's where I'm from. Where in the Lake yeah, District? Did you say? Yeah. Where in the Lake District? So I'm from a town called Cockermouth. What? Yeah, Cockermouth. Cockermouth. You know, until I met you, I always... Yeah, I know. Until I met you, I always... We have such strange names in England, you know? Yes. Like, we have some really, really strange... Like, um... Oh, it'll come to me. There's another. There's, there's another, a Welsh city that's like, got the long. Is it Welsh? The longest name. No, but we have like rude names. Like there's this oh, yeah. what station? Cock something on the Piccadilly Cock line. Cockfosters. Yeah. First time Lauren, my wife Lauren, you'll you'll know hear about her more later. She lost it, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, you're so American for laughing at such a stupid thing. But we do have weird names. Anyway, before I had before I knew you, I always thought it was pronounced Cockermouth. Oh, really? Yeah, Cockermouth. because that is more, I, I don't know, I suppose it's more British in my it's, mind. It's more northern, I, I guess. I think people, like, from the north and from there, they might say Cockermouth, yeah. But I say yeah, Cockermouth. but Cockermouth, I mean, it's very blunt. Yeah, it is. <laughs> 
We mm. actually, you know, sometimes on the internet they have those things where it's like worst places to grow up or worst places <laughs> to go to school. Are you we, on top five? Yeah, we were quite fre- <laughs> we were quite frequently in those lists purely because of the Damn. name. And like when we went on trips, like on the school bus and stuff like that, like people would take photos. Oh my days, bus, like, mobile phones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So well. yeah, that's where I'm from. Um, I grew up there till I was 18, and then I moved down to London to right. come to uni. Right. And I've now lived here for just over four years. Wow. Ricardo, how long have you oh, lived yeah. in London? Sorry. Um, nine years now. So I was nine born here, but my years. parents are Italian, so I grew up in Italy. Sicily, <clears throat> actually. Um, but yeah, now I'm, I'm technically somewhat alone like in London. Like my family's all moved out, so... Um, but it's fine. Working now, I graduated, so it's pretty cool. Independent man. Independent, yeah, so it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, proud to say, first generation in my family who graduated, so it's very good. Very good, very um, good. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Mm. But more Matthews just graduated this year, which is great. Um, yes, that is That's true. a much bigger achievement. Um, but yeah, um, nine years now. Nine, nine years. years. So four years, you've so that that was for your course, yes, which you've just finished, and now you're yep. independently living in London. You just yes. got a job. Well done. That is true. Congratulations uh, on you. your new job. Thank you. What's the job you just got? Well, we will get to me, but I want I yeah. I want to milk this moment <laughs> as much as possible. Okay, sure. Um, so the job I just got is as a mechanical design engineer working for Brompton Bicycles. Ooh. Which is the folding bike with small wheels that you sort of see people. Shut your face. Where is that? So that is in Greenford. That's in northwest London. Um, okay. I haven't actually put my name on any kind of contract yet, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe as of this now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be my next kind of. That sounds invention. fun. Are you going to invent? That's going to be really good. Flying bicycle. Next. That would be sick. That would be really, or really cool. Or a bicycle that not can not can fold, but you can actually put it in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very good. Why not? Well, well, I mean, how would you put it in your pocket, though? Like, how would you grab a wheel? I don't know, you guys are engineers. I don't know, you do. <laughs> like, me. That's why um, he's going there. We're, we're engineers, but we can't necessarily do things that are impossible. You know, but, there's, there's, no, there's who a fine line impossible. between the two. But you, no, I'd never say that. Well, you should, um, the Chinese are probably whoever's listening, who's ever listening to us, you should follow us on Instagram. And if you would have followed us a week ago, you would have seen that we were playing with a retractable stick. And it was a, it was a martial arts stick that turned into this tiny one-inch thing. I think if someone can turn a stick into that, maybe they can turn a bicycle into a pocket version. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're looking at me with a kind of a very big sense of expectation here, guys. You're the the future (laughs) of... You are the the next... um, You're the next... uh, What was his name? Ford. I don't remember his first name. Henry Henry Ford. Henry 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 Ford. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Henry Ford, the inventor of the production line. (coughs) Well, kind of. Didn't he invent the car? Yes, he did. Yes. Yeah. But in doing so, he invented the production line. Also, he was also very politically involved. I didn't know that until recently. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Okay, anyway, my name is Benji. Yes, let's, let's, <laughs> let's move on to you. My name is Benji. Um, a bit of a complicated story. I am British. Um, I have, I'm British national. But I also, technically speaking, I have completely abandoned this nationality as of quite a few years ago. But I'm also technically a Paraguayan citizen. So Paraguay is a country in... South America. Uh, my mum is British, my dad is Paraguayan, and I was born. I was I was born and raised there until I was eighteen. Um, after living there for eighteen years, I moved to the U.S., um, where I met my wife. I I studied there for three years. Um, 
contrary to what it says on my LinkedIn, I did not finish university. <laughs> you see, in England we do three years university. Four if you're a mechanical engineer like Matthew. Was it five in the US? No, it's three. It, it, sorry, no, it is it's four. Five. It is four. Right. I mean, really, it depends like on what you're year. studying. It depends on what you're studying. But normally, it's four years in the US, and normally it's three years to get a um, bachelor's degree in, in the UK. So I did do three years of university. So anyone here doesn't really question that. They just kind of go, oh, great. So you finish university. But honestly, in my line of work, it, nobody gives a damn. It's just not important at all. Yeah. Um, so I'm a filmmaker. I, I, I'm a freelance filmmaker, director, photographer, etc. Ventriloquist. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I moved to London in September 2014. Mm. And I uh, I sold everything I had. I had a similar studio setup like we have now, like we're looking at now. Mm. Uh, much, much downgraded in the US. But I couldn't live there anymore because I wasn't a US citizen or anything. I met my wife in the US. And um, I sold everything. And I bought a ticket, one-way ticket to come here to work for a charity. A terrible place to work, but, you know, what, what are you going to do? First job mm. out of uni. And, it, you know, I did learn a lot. It was based in South Ken and I had a lot of exposure to a lot of different sort of things. And um, I sold everything and I came here and I stayed with a friend for five months, rent free. Uh, and I, I came with $600, not even 600 pounds, $600. So what was that, 400 pounds? Or 400, 450, 500 pounds, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I had nothing. I came here with nothing. And so for the last four years, I've been trying to, you know, climb up the tiny, the tiny ladder or the big ladder, should I say, the tiny person climbing up a career ladder to try and make it. I became a freelancer mm. two years ago now. After I left that charity job, and since then, since then I've worked with people like uh, GQ, the Sunday Times, the Ritz, all very good um, when work is mm. happening. But when work is not happening, it's a very stressful thing. I'm sure we'll, we'll be able to cover that at some point. Matthew, you just came from a period of not being unemployed, of not being employed. Sorry, this is this is true. And uh, I think that caused some anxiety in you. Yeah, and I, yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. Um. So I I finished uni in June or July, I think. Um, early July anyway, um, and basically just had a, had a summer holiday like you ordinarily would. Um, in that time, I kind of produced some music. I mixed a kind of produced and mixed a couple of albums for some friends of mine. Um, Which he's great at, by the way. Like really, really good. Yes. I don't know if you've heard his stuff, Ricardo, but he is he's no, an engineer. He is an engineer when it comes to this stuff. I have not. I've heard one of your gigs. I think. Okay. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. No, cool. I haven't heard any. Yeah, but lots of. Yeah. Anyway, so I did that, went on holiday, went to France, kind of just chilled out really. Um, but then kind of ended up at home like, mm, I need to kind of, you know, earn money and do a real life job <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So As you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I also kind of did a similar thing where, uh, yeah, I moved to London with no money, stayed with a friend, rent free. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. That was really, very really kind. Oh, yeah, thank you, Josh, if you're listening to this. Thank you for, for your whole family for <laughs> five months. <laughs> Four years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, subsequently, just kind of applying to to as many jobs as I possibly could, kind of within the engineering field, you know, and that was when sort of, you know, people started calling me from recruiters and things like that for various different things. I did a few different interviews, some of which were interesting, some of which were terrible. Um, yeah, so, you know, it was kind of an interesting experience. Um, but then this, this job came through a recruiter calling me because they, they saw on my kind of CV, it was like, well, mechanical engineering, 
and also mountain biking as well. He likes mountain biking, which is like just a throwaway comment at the end of the CV. But you know, that's what that's what they this saw. Is that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it it shows like yeah, anything that you've done, don't hesitate to put it out there and just sort of show people this is who I am and, and what I've done, which is pretty cool. That's great. Advice. So yeah, so that's that's been two months. Um, it has been stressful and 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 difficult, but kind of definitely worth it uh, in the end. Mm. what kind of pushed you like what was your motivation to get a job because a lot of students nowadays when they graduate they don't really they're not really fussed in a way but what kind of pushed you what was your kind of motive mm. to get that job I mean what if what if you know what if you never really got that dream job yeah would you, so, have, would you have settled with something else or mm. what was your kind of um, yeah you know, definitely drive? Do you, what was your drive I guess to get this job definitely um, yeah. I would have settled for something less almost certainly um, I, I knew I wanted to live in London I knew I wanted to come back and live down here you know I've got friends sort of put root down and in terms of like the kind of the music scene and the mm. stuff I want to do and, and be here like I just wanted to be here really mm. so I kind of I moved down with the intention of maybe starting something temporary or just doing something kind of small time um, you know I don't know working a coffee shop or, or something like that but even those kind of jobs are like difficult to come by I found yeah, yeah. Um, mm. or they're kind of slightly illegal and hugely exploitative uh, but we won't go into that um, oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I think I did like about two days of that and was like, mm, no, this no, is not for me. interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think like the educational system here is a bit messed up, I think, personally. Um, it's funny how you, you have such high expectations from, you know, you look forward to graduating and then after that you kind of look forward for that dream job to come through. But mm. in reality, a lot of people that I know even myself, really, um, I have not achieved, let's say, my dream job, in quotation marks. Mm. Um, it's actually quite hard. I think it's become more of a kind of, um, I don't know, more of a business. I think universities <clears throat> have become more, I don't know, oversells. Um, oversells, sorry. My time is coming up. Um, I don't know. I think there's such a big emphasis in getting people through uni, getting young people through well, It's a uni. business, isn't it? Yeah, I it's mean, but business. that's what I don't understand. Yeah. I think they don't really set you <clears throat> up for the future. So for them, it's like, actually, yeah, yeah. Give me uh, your nine grand yeah, a year. I mean, and it's, it's like, after that, there's nothing works. It's done to you. Yeah. Your, you know, but yeah. for me, it's like, there's such silly degrees out there. Like, for example, I studied tourism, right? Like, tourism management. It's fine. It's a business-related degree. But mm -hmm. thinking about it now, if I could go back in time, I would change. You know, I would change my, like, I don't know, my degree. The reason why is because it's not practical in real life. Do you know what I mean? There's some yeah. things where, like you said, like, I mean, like, music, technology, I mean, what you studied, I guess, it's all down to skills and experience. That's what well, you need to build. I guess, I guess, I guess obviously, if you yes don't want to go no. into... I mean, you know, well, I don't know much about that. And again, in engineering, let's take it on engineering. Like, you cannot become an engineer without having at least a basic foundation. Course, at least the of things course. of how, now that, how it works. Now, the people, at least in the UK or London, you need to have a certain, like, you know, degree and certain level of experience, etc. But, I mean, you don't need to study tourism... Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like, I don't know. But what, why did you, what was your initial motivation I was kind of, to study? I was yeah. stuck to it when I came to the UK. See, that's one thing. When I came to the UK, um, I had to learn everything new. I didn't speak a word of English. I mean... That's amazing. You know, like, nothing. That's so, truly like, amazing. Because yeah. your English is pretty much flawless now. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, it was hard for me coming here um, because generally schools don't really teach you. They don't really give you options in terms of... Um, what the future will look like. Do you know what I mean? It's like, what do you like to do now? No, it's like, 
what do I want to do in the future? Where mm. does this course lead me mm. in the future, in five years' time, six years' time down the line? Because I ended up studying tourism in college. Um, and yeah, although it was interesting, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And now looking back, I just thought like, ah, oh, it's really cool to graduate. I mean, it's always been my dream anyway for me. Mm. But not realising actually what's after, you know? Yeah, of course. So I went through the same journey <clears throat> as Matthew, actually. So after uni, I guess kind of like... Actually, you had your mindset, but a lot of people, a lot of friends that I know as well, they didn't really know what they wanted to do after uni. So they, they kind of, I don't know, they kind of, I don't know, ended up doing like little jobs here and there, like you said. That's why I asked you, like, would you have settled with any other roles? And the sad mm. thing, you said yes. And so, do you I know mean, what I mean? Because so I know what you mean, yeah. you need it, but it's like, why does it have to come to that? You know, what if I've worked hard for four years, like you said, like five, four years of, you know, because mm. uni is not, it's not an easy thing. Although, no. like, many people make, you know. No. But, you know, why should you settle for that? Why is, it not, why is there not a better system in place for students who finish uni to join, like, large corporations to have a better future? Like, yeah. why I do mean, you have to settle for that? To, to kind of take you up on that, my, yeah. my aim was always to do that. I mean, I'd only have, have, like, settled for that something less for, you know, a period of a few months until I was able to kind of move on to a job that I actually wanted to do, some kind of engineering yeah. job. And in terms of that, like within engineering, there is sign of big companies that do kind of graduate schemes where, you know, you leave uni and you sort of go into the company and they train you and things like that, which is, which is what I was aiming to do. Mm. But usually you apply in kind of October, November around now, and then you start in September next year. And I needed something to support myself within that time, which is why I was kind of saying, OK, yeah, so I would have settled for something mm. less within that time with ultimately with the aim of kind of moving on onto different things that I actually wanted to do. But we're sort of getting into that whole, the whole kind of discussion of, you know, in in life, do we sort of do what we want to do at the moment or do we do something that's actually going to help us to kind of, you know, live and sort of live that kind of established life that people kind of say, oh, you know, this is what you should do. You know, you should mm. do a degree, degree, get a job, sure. you know, that kind of typical thing. And I think, where, especially when you're kind of de- trying to decide what you want to do at uni, it's a very difficult decision because it's like, okay, well... I want to do something I actually find interesting mm. and want to enjoy, but I want to do something that's actually going to help me to get a job and, and something like that. I mean, so for me, actually, I was kind of lucky in that engineering was what I wanted to do and I actually enjoyed it. I, you know, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it at school. Um, and, you know, and that there are jobs are jobs in it, but, you know, it's it's difficult. Like, def- I mean, for me, I'm you know, I'm a musician. I wanted to do music, like, really. I mean, if I could do anything, that's probably what I would do. But... You know, it's difficult to kind of just be like at eighteen years old. Okay, well, you know, I'm gonna go and yes. move down to London and become a musician because you know you'd be living in a couple of boxes in a couple of days. So, <laughs> so you know, you have to you have to sort of weigh that up and say like, well, you're a very. I mean, the thing about you, Matthew, is that you, um, you know, even if you hadn't gotten this job, you're very, very skilled and multi-skilled, especially with music and everything that's um, audio engineering and all of that. Our friend Alex, of course. Is a, is a music producer and he's been doing this for what 10 years now yeah um, and if not more if not more but um, you know I, I, I would I would bet that you are way beyond the level that he was when he was where you're at well, like when you was your age that's a very bold thing to it say. is it <laughs> is I love Alex <laughs> and, and you know okay don't get me wrong I think Alex is has got the gear has got the knowledge he's got the clientele he's got all that settled you know but he had to learn all that for a long time. Whereas you've been, you know, you've uh, what struck me a lot. You studied at Imperial College. Yeah. 
one of the most prestigious college universities in, yeah. in the world. Top, top three. And I was UK. very interested. I was very mm. surprised to learn that uh, mechanical engineering can actually take you to a lot of different pathways. Like I've heard mm. there are people going to mm. law mm. after studying mechanical engineering. And oh. it's like, yeah, it's very, you know, really? I, I heard that a few years ago and I was like, what on earth is the connection? But apparently, apparently people do that, you know? Yeah. So you could have very easily gone into music and well, you are in music and you, I think you're going to continue to go into music, but you could have gone into music full time and made it, made it well. I have mm. no doubt about that. I think right now what's important, because it's so difficult to live in London, everything is so expensive, rent is ridiculous. So you as an individual need to make sure that you are paying your rent, you have a stable yeah. place, a comfortable place, and you are stable financially. Yeah, and I, for me, that's what it's been like. That, that's the main thing that's been for me for the last four years. You, you mentioned something interesting, Ricardo, about what, what would you do if you went back in time in uni? For me, if if I went back in time uni, I wouldn't I wouldn't care too much about it like I did, because the truth is that about seventy to eighty percent of what I knew at the time about film, I was teaching myself, mm. because the film department in my university was quite small. It was quite new, and they mm. they had a what the, what the the greatest thing they 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 could offer me was uh, the tactile experience, you know, okay. like grabbing yeah, yeah, a camera, yeah. mm. playing with it, messing about, like doing all that kind of stuff using a computer that actually works and can actually render video and all that sort of thing, mm. that, that's the biggest benefit that I got from being at uni, that all the resources are there. At the same time, and I don't know if you know this, but um, as of 2013, um, the universities became, it, it used to be three grand a year in the yes. UK, yeah. and then they went to nine grand yes. a year. I was the first generation to join in 2013, so I had to pay nine grand. Yeah, that's yeah. ridiculous. So like, when I joined uni... In other words, I've got 50 grand worth of debt on me. So here's right. the thing. In the, U in the US, a normal university, normal, say, private university, hmm. because there's, there is um, what they call community college, and I think that's, what, two, three grand a year as well. But obviously the, the, the quality you would expect is a bit lower, maybe, you know. You, but with, with, the, with the whole campus experience, with the university experience that you see in Monsters Inc. or whatever, I don't know why I say that. <laughs> American <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah. That's 30 grand a year. Easy. 30, 35, 40. And that's a ridiculous amount yeah. of money. I had a 66% discount because I was an international student, thankfully. And that was still too much for my parents because they're, they're just teachers in a third world country. There's very little they can do to make that amount of money. Now they're paying even more for my sister. And I said, you're crazy. Why, why have you sent her to the US? You should have sent her here. But that's what she wanted to do. And, you know, so I think if I, if I had the chance to go back, I would have gone, look, I know what I'm good at. I'm just going to focus on that. And I, I, I think that university is, is quite complicated in that way because there's so much self-discovery that you're doing there. Mm, and yeah. now that you're older, it's like, oh, I should have done it that way. But guess, you know what yeah. I mean? I guess one question I'm quite curious is, um, what advice would you give to someone who, like, um, I don't know, probably doesn't have a clue of what they're good at or, or what their potential is. Example, that's what I'm trying to get. That is a very because, good question. Because and that's example, part of the problem. that was me and this is me. Right. So even today, even after graduating, I ended up in the world and recruitment myself. So it's been, and I'm enjoying it quite a lot. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's hard work, but I enjoy the work. I enjoy the grind, right? So yes. Like, um, but if I'd known, I wouldn't have joined uni, do you know what I mean? Because it's not a field which you need a degree. At a, you know, to an extent, you just learn the skill, like you said. So it's like, what advice would you give to someone who's about to join uni mm -hmm. and doesn't know what, you know, what he or she wants to do? 
And yes. example, that's where the system, I think, is a bit... Um, Doesn't really help um, Yeah, it's all yeah. deluded, I think. And that's why I personally, myself, as a child growing up, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I did. Because, obviously, my parents are like, oh, you'd be great as a lawyer. I've always had my mind. Yes. I always had my head on my books, right? So I was very good at studying and all that. But I never really knew what I wanted to do. Um, so I guess I'm trying to get to that point. What advice would you give? I think... Someone who didn't... But, for example, you guys are great because you guys had a probably... But actually, me, I never had a name. I never really yeah. had... I never really... Even now, I'm still discovering my talents. Yes. Although I'm, I'm, I'm 25. And I'm, well, know, like you said, the, the system advice. is working against you, right? Yes. Because the system... All all the system wants is your money. And, and it makes sense as well because teachers need to get paid. And they need to get paid... They should be paid a, a decent wage, okay? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. That's why, well, in the UK it's a bit, it's less complicated than it is in the US. Because in the US it's this whole college campus experience. Mm. Whereas here, at least in London, it's a bit more diversified. There are different buildings, different parts of London. You can travel, you're still your own person. You can live in halls, but you don't have to. No. Where I lived in the US, it was a requirement to live in halls. For the first two years, you had to live in halls. That was like part of the deal. Um, at least it was for me, and probably with international students. I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that, but it was it was a similar situation. I think, bearing in mind that the, the system is working against you, mm. unfortunately the world that we live in is completely centred around money. So, find something that you're good at, and that maybe will get you by, do that, and make the money... And but don't just do that. Do you know what I mean? Like make the money. Like if you're just going into uni, think about okay, I'm gonna make the money and I'm gonna decide what I'm gonna do along the way. Because if you try to decide what you're gonna do along the way, that might hinder your progress to eventually. That that's what happened to me. Because even though I knew what I wanted to do, I said, well, I know what I'm gonna do, so I shouldn't focus too much on this. But then, well, I guess my mine is a unique situation because I'm interna- I'm technically an international student. My parents are living in a third world country, which is not ideal for anyone in the nice. family, to be honest. Mm. But if you, think of, if, if you think of it that way, like the world is, is not going to help you find what you want to find. The, the world just wants to get the world. What a, what a weird terminology. You know what I mean? Like the right. business, the, the establishment wants to get your money. Okay, then treat that as an investment. You're going to make the money and you're going to decide what you're going to do afterwards. And then you'll find yourself, hey, I have the money to do whatever I want now. I think that's better than finding mm. yourself in a crisis and then going, oh, I finally know what to do, but I don't have any money to do it. Right. So what you're saying, are you a strong believer that it's never, too, it's never too late to follow your dreams? Like, absolutely is that what you're trying not. to say right Absolutely now? not. I okay. think you could be 50 or 60 and, you know, sitting on a pile of cash and going like, do you know what? I want to be a pilot. I don't know. <laughs> I want to be a musician. I want to be an actor. It doesn't matter. I think, honestly, it, it, it comes down to the work really because good work is um is always noticed i believe that I, that's something i believe firmly um the, the the problem is that i think part especially in my area i think there are quite a lot of people who have the resources and uh, there are quite a lot of people who are getting better so then the competition mm. is like well how do i stand out from all of these other people but do you know what i ha- i can't lie to you either i mean in in the last 4 years that i've been here I've met a lot of people and a lot of a lot of organizations, if not most of them, and it's all the gear and no idea. Mm. 
honestly. Right. It's all the money, all the resources, but nobody has a clue on how to tell a story. Anyway, this is beside the point. No, actually, <laughs> but, you got a good point, actually. I'll touch on that later. Um, um, yeah. Do you know this book? Um, we read it in university. I am not a reader. I am actually against reading. That's probably, uh, and that's probably well, a very... Well, okay, <laughs> that's so yeah. controversial. <laughs> okay, that's probably not entirely true. Yeah. But I, I've always found reading so, so boring. There are a few mm. books in my life, however, that I've right. read because I had to, or it was part of the course or whatever, uh, university course or whatever. Right. And um, there's this book, which everybody quotes now, which everybody's familiar with, uh, the Outliers book. And in that book, it talks about how you need to work something at, uh, you need to work at something for 100, no, 10,000, 10,000 hours, and that will make you an expert. So whatever you do, if it's learning the guitar, if you play the guitar for 10,000 hours or study it, because maybe playing it would, would get you so far, but studying it for 10,000 that will make you an expert. Does that make sense? What is that equivalent to 10,000 hours? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how you spend it out. To take you up on that, I was thinking about this recently, because in interviews, people always ask you the, where do you see yourself in five years? So I was thinking about answering this question. Yeah. If you work eight hours a day, five days a week for five years, that's the 10,000 hours you need to become an expert. That's also a problem though. Because I just said earlier, you need to go and make that money so you can figure out what you want to do. But mm. if all your time is being it's spent invested. on that's the yes, that yes, yes, that yes. is the biggest problem, and that's one of the main reasons I became a freelancer. You actually recently sent me. I'm not sure if you sent Matthew an interesting video about that. So maybe it will be you to discuss that. Oh about yes, the, the, the working hours, working yourself think, to death. I, I kind of I kind of agree with what he was saying. Like I forgot the name of the. YouTuber, I think. Yes, we'll did you of, see this, Matthew? I don't think I did. We're kind of link this, okay. but uh, would you want, do you want to touch on that? Yes, yes. Like so um, there is this... Um, how many? Of you, are you familiar with Casey Neistat? I am, yes. Are well. you familiar with I've him? I've been following him Matthew. for years. Well, I guess, well, I guess I don't... <laughs> very good. <laughs> okay, Maybe Casey you know. Neistat is um, pretty much the biggest content creator on, on the YouTube platform. Yes. Now, uh, he's not the, the person with the most subscriptions... Um, but he's definitely, I, I would argue, he is one of the people who has the most influence over the platform. If not, yeah. the person who has the no, most agreed. influence. Um, agreed. The way Casey and I start, started is that he started by making vlog-type videos back in the noughties. And um, he, made a, he made a narrative, he made episodes from them, and HBO picked it up. So yeah. he sold it for about $2 million. Was it the Neistat Brothers, weren't they? The Neistat brother. Brothers, that's yes. right, that's right. Mm. So after that, um, he would have had the freedom to continue to do other stuff, but I think it was back in 2015, I think, when he started the vlog. Yes, 2015. And he would have he posted every day, every day, almost without fail, for about two years. Now he still posts, but it's not as much because he's focusing on family, he's got two kids now, he's got a lot of things going on. But in that interim, he uh, started a company called Beam. Yes, I remember. Beam was originally an app. Um, well, I, I think there is still an app version of that. Um, not anymore, I think. Well, I think uh, it, was ta- it was taken down. Well, that, well, that version definitely doesn't exist, but Beam has now evolved into it's another company. Else, I think yeah. it's a media. So what happened is, um, yeah. Casey, that Beam, the company, got picked up by CNN. So then Casey and I started was working with CNN. I don't know why I need to give you this backstory, no, no, but good. people find it interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. Um, so CNN um, became the owner of um, Beam with Casey at the realm. But Casey decided to take another route. So Casey gave his company out to Beam, uh, gave Beam out to CNN. And Casey is no longer directly involved with Beam. 
Um, but all those guys, all because there was a, there was a moment in the in that building which is now called three six three six eight in New York. Um, the actual number of the building is three six eight. So now we can now we can find it if we need to, even though that's strictly forbidden. <laughs> uh, yes, for now. For now. For now. Well, I, well, we I mean, can get yeah, into that later. Yeah, exactly. We can get yeah, into yeah. that later. Um, so Beam has basically become a news commentary outlet on YouTube that is owned by CNN. And there is this dude called Lou, and um, sometimes I agree with him. Uh, Actually, a lot of the time I agree with him. Sometimes I'm just like, "Mm, okay, whatever. But this video that they recently released on um, We're Working Ourselves to Death, and he talked about how, well, he was quoting some other guy in the 1960s, I think it was, who said that by the year 2000, the work week will be cut down to 15 hours. Mm. 15 hours, because by then we will have had everything to kind of do it, you know, make, make, life, make, life, make life easier. Make life easier. Yeah. Now, <laughs> it's an interesting concept, though. Well, yeah, sorry, it, uh, that's uh, what should have happened. Yes. But the, it, it, the work hours have increased, and now we're killing ourselves, even though even we, we've, we've achieved amazing things with technology and computing specifically. You know, we, we, we could... We could automate everything at this point. We really could. It was. It would be a lot of money, but we could automate most jobs, and that is that is a controversial topic. Yeah, because then where is the need of the workforce then? You know well, I mean? there is this there is this ideal situation yeah. in which in the future we won't really need to work all these dudes. Ju- <laughs> we won't need to we won't need to work all these um, jobs. White collar, blue collar. That's a very American term. Do you know what that means? Um, no. White colour, blue colour. I've so heard of it. In America, um, blue colour means sort of like... Uh, so how, like how do I say Difference in, in like... High class classes. or low class Sorry, yeah, exactly. So blue colour refers to like maybe like a janitor wearing a blue uniform. Whereas a white colour is someone who's, who's wearing a like shirt. Like a lawyer. Like, you know, like, like a, a lawyer or a, like cor- or a the firm or whatever. Yeah. The co- exactly, yeah. the corporate well, sector. Yes. Or the private sector, whatever. Um, in the future... The ideal is that nobody needs to work these jobs and we can advance as a human race by exploring our creativity and exploring the things that we believe would make us free from the establishment because the establishment would just be its own thing that would be self-sustaining. Mm. I think there's another YouTube channel that I th- I'm not positive. Kutkazagd, I think it's called. Like, I don't know. Don't know. They covered something mm. like this and hopefully... In some version of the universe, that's what we're aiming for, but that's not what we're doing right now. Right now, we're 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 working, we're working, we're working. We're, you know, inflation. I, again, I'm no expert on this, but things are getting more expensive, especially in a, in a, in, a, mm. in a place like London. It's tough, man. It's it's yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? So mm. it, in this video, what Lou says is, we've earned a break, haven't we? I mean, we've gone, we've come this long in the last 40 years, 40 plus years, to advance technology. Surely we could cut the, the hours or get, get a three-day weekend. You know? yes. Personally, I think a three-day weekend would be a bad move. I think we should cut the hours in the week so we have more hours in the day. And the reason for that is that I think if, we, if all of a sudden the world changed to a, three hour, a three-day weekend bosses would be more anal with their employees i that's just a that's just a my own my own calculation as it were i see what you mean i think that touches upon like us like are we scared of change i think that's absolutely because and then it also comes down to 
does it come to, does it come down to us as the workforce or does it come down to the big corporations to make that step to make that change do you know what i mean so i think that's controversial yeah of course but i think we're just very we're very traditional people i think since the industrial you know revolution we've been kind of putting more and more work right so we've yeah. been spending i think the average person spends more time at work than actually at home with their yes. families right yeah. and that's very scary actually it's very very scary so, so here's the thing where do you start where do you start with that that you know I mean? that is that is very yeah. that is a very difficult subject because mm. here in the uk uh, a normal a normal a normal week is what 35 to 40 hours a week in yes. in the us average. it's 40 okay it's 40 it's, so what's that lot. 9 to 9 to 6 Roughly, yeah. But, I yeah. mean, if you, if you take yeah. it off for lunch, it's nine to six. Nine to yeah, six. sure. Or eight thirty-six. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Now, it's, it's, here's the thing, okay? In South America, when I grew up, where I grew up, it was way worse. It was way worse because the conditions were such that my dad, um, well, wealthier, wealthier families, their dads would arrive at six, but I was very much in the middle class and not middle class British because that's a very different. So. For those of you who are listening, or not in the UK, um, upper class, middle class, and lower class means something very different in Britain. So, um, in in Britain, you can be middle class. um, Well, let's just put it this way. Upper class means that you are from some kind of historical or aristocracy or some sort of family, sort of like that. So, you can be broke and still be in the upper class because of your name. Yes. Whereas you can be middle class is more about how much wealth you've got. You could be in the middle class and be wealthier than the upper class, but you're not upper class because you don't have that name or yes. that, that, right. that, that it's, aristocracy. It's very different from... It. Yeah. So in the world, for mm. normal people, it's middle class, people who are working um, blue-collar jobs, let's say. Mm. Middle class, people who have everything, let's just say, stable. They can afford all the basic needs. And then upper class are those who can... The more wealth. The, the wealthier. The wealthier. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I lost my thread here. What was the point of this? Um, you were just comparing the classes and... Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So my dad... So we were in the middle class in, in Paraguay. Yes. In Paraguay, South America. And my dad wasn't really at home in the evenings. Because he had to teach. Because not only is it a third world country, but he was he's a teacher. And teachers in the world are underappreciated. You can imagine how much more they could be, they would be underappreciated in a third world country. Um, not necessarily by the students, but by the government. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. Does that make sense to you? I'm following. Yeah. So, from my point of from my, you know, this is probably kind of skewed, because I think my dad also did some kind of what we would call freelancing. Um, different universities and all that. But for me, uh, we lived so far from everything that we needed to do. And I'm still a bit bitter with my mother about it. <laughs> mm. But we had to get up at six, six in the morning. We needed to be at school at seven-ish. Let's say it was seven, yeah. That's an early start. Yeah. Hey. And when I went to Paraguayan school, it was, I don't know, what was it? 7.30 or eight to, so I went to a Paraguayan school for six and a half years. I refer to them as the six and a half years of hell. Um, and I, I basically don't acknowledge, acknowledge that time in life, which is quite interesting. Anyway, it, I think it started around 7.30, 8, I don't know, sometime in the morning, but mm. didn't end until 4. That's the whole day, huh? That's a lot That's of a time. That's a, a lot of time. For a child, how old were you here? When you started? Uh, I would have been... When you started, though. Uh, I, well, I went to an American school for most of the time. 
uh, at a private American school. So from the years four to eight or nine, I went to the American school. I went to the American school. And then after that, I went to the private um, Paraguayan school f until I was 15. And that was the... And that was the that was the, the time that was the yeah mm. exactly so much more. I mean, as a kid, that was entirely overwhelming. Then I moved back to the American private American school, and that started at seven seven thirty, but it ended at two, two right. or three. But then I've got all this time that's free, but my dad's not going to get home until nine or ten. In, in, in some cases, do you know what I mean? Mm. I think as I got older, he got he he was able to come a bit earlier, but the system was definitely not in his favour, especially as a teacher. Um, so seeing, you know, obviously we have a more of a, maybe, maybe a bit of a, bit of a different worlds going on here, like a global view. And I'm realizing I'm talking for a long time. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think things in England and in the U S are, are generally, well, let's take the U S out of it. In the UK, things are a bit better in that way, but things still need to be better, especially for a city like London, because we are working our asses off for what? You know, mm. like, what's the point of making even a bit of money if you can't enjoy it in a healthy way? Now, a lot of people make money to just party on the weekends. That, I'm afraid, is not a healthy way of a healthy way of living. At that's all. that's the way like we've been built at the moment. Exactly, like, it's, it's exactly. an escapism. You know exactly. I mean? So, like, exactly. we we chased after those things. So exactly. At the moment, we are like the pot, like the. Um, what was the guy again? Lou. Lou is his name. On, so, so, so the name of the channel is called Beam. Beam News. Beam is great. And so, Lou is the one who heads up. All yeah, the... I mean, Lou made a good point. So he said, we're working ourselves to death. So like, that's actually just the title of it just captivated me. So like, what that means to me is because obviously studying tourism as well, we studied the subject of, of that specifically. Really? Why do people escape? Why do people... It all started with, obviously, Thomas Cook. So Thomas Cook was a big uh, Christian. So... I believe Thomas Cook. Thomas Cook um, is a is a is a um, is a tourist um, uh, is a tour operator now. He's got they've got some retail stores okay. around. So it's a big uh, travel agency. Okay. Do you like so package holidays around. and they've yeah. got planes and stuff like that? You know yeah. who he is. So they yeah they've got like not necessarily the guy but the company. You know like flight flight travel um, sorry flight center and all of these like um, it rings tour operators. Tiny cowbell. So if you go if you go shopping center stuff you see Thomas Cook. So like okay. the interesting concept of this is this. So Thomas Cook realized at a very like young age. Um, that he had to make a change. So he was a strong Christian. He believed in, you know, he was all against, you know, um, alcohol and all that. And so he decided for the first time ever to kind of uh, go against the society's norm. So back then, um, only the aristocrats, the young aristocrats, were kind of allowed to take time off work. So we're talking about the Industrial Revolution. Right. So they were the ones, the one, in other words, aristocrats were... Uh, it means those who own the piece of land. That's all it means. Yeah. And what that means is give you authority and power over everyone else who's the workforce. So these are also people who own um, who own like big businesses as well. And then there's and that's where it comes also the lower class and upper class, right? Let's call it lower sure. class and upper class. There was sure. no middle class. Of course, there was such a diverse, there was such a disparison between yes. upper class and lower class. The middle class did not exist. Mm. So at that time, actually, even children were working forty to fifty hours a week in the actual factories as well. So making pans and tires and all of that actually is very true. And they, they worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week. They even would sleep inside the factories to actually make right. ends meet. So all big families would live inside the actual factories or would wake, some of them would wake up really early. So there was such a big... So in doing the Industrial Revolution, is interesting because um, we've gone backwards. So now let me explain. So back then, um, people lived in the countryside, right? When the Industrial Revolution came to be, 
and where London became one of the biggest cities which developed, you know, um, I don't know, so many things, so many things. So that's why there were so many factories in London. That's where there's such a division in the South Bank as well and the and the north of London. So the South Bank became very industrial. So the south the south of London and north of London were actually divided by the river. So anyone who lived in the South Bank um, was considered... A, you know, someone from the lower class. I don't think I knew that. So yeah, so anyone who lived in north of London was more the, the aristocrats. Let's say lived in the north of London, so the north of the river, generally. The south of the river was purely uh, underdeveloped. That would that would have been South Bank. Right? It was South. Because yeah, in south the west, Bank. There's a lot of South Bank. That's why just recently we've seen development in the south as well. So that's why, and sure. also in yeah, you just just fairly recently actually. Um, what I was trying to say. There was such a urbanization in London, so people from the countryside, which were working in the land, and um, which probably Matthew can understand better in, in the roots of where you've been brought up, mm. um, they moved. There was such a big move, so thousands, if not millions, of people started moving into London. So there was such a boom. That's why the Industrial Revolution was huge. So people were literally flooding into the city because they saw opportunity to make money, which actually they weren't really making money in the countryside. So mm. what happened is the aristocrats living in London back in the days, they felt in disgust in a sense. So they felt a way, they, they felt that they needed to escape. So what they started doing is actually moving to, um, to the coast. So aristocrats would manage their businesses in London, but would escape to the coast mm. to relax and step away from the lower class. So they consider lower class as being very inferior, you know. Mm. Um, there was such a big divide. And let's not talk about even the the whole concept of being tanned. Actually, if somebody was tanned, it was considered someone from the work class. So actually being tanned as well, so having a tan generally from the sun was actually a shameful thing. Because you were working So aristocrats went pale white. So that's yeah. who we know they were from a good work, they were from an upper class. So they would actually walk around with umbrellas, not to be affected by the skin, but they would know that someone was dirty or had a tan, they'll be farmers. Or you studied this class. in uni? In uni, that's yeah. So like, it's actually quite interesting. So what happened is, the good th what I'm trying to get at is Thomas Cook was actually a genius. So he's considered the, the big guy. So although he came from Christian roots, his ideas was actually, no, what I'm going to do now is actually, the idea was to heal people, to help these working class to get out as well, because he started realising that people in in the factories needed an escapism. Their escapism was pubs. That's why every pub is near a station, a tube station. reason why people wanted to get out of work, into the pub, get drunk, out, shoot, you know, and then off they went at home. So the only way from the working class to escape that, that fear, that not that fear, but that's like... The, you know, they did the, the hard work of the labour, the 80, 90 hours they put in a week, was to actually get drunk in the pub. And so that's where actually, that's not a completely different that topic. From. That's where it comes from. Mm. And it was a completely different topic, by the way, off topic. So, no, no, it makes say, sense. And that's where sense. the whole abuse, the alcohol abuse came to be. Uh, you know, there was, you know, well, one anyway. of them anyway. But that's what I'm yeah. trying to get at. That's why Thomas Cook saw an opportunity here to heal people because he was a strong believer of God and etc. Sure, and, sure, and very religious. So, man. what he wanted to do is bring people out back into the countryside. It's funny. Mm. So, his first trip was he offered, I don't know how much he offered uh, to pay. Um, how, how much he charged sorry people he charged very little back then um, I think it was a shilling, shilling I think. a shilling a shilling um, so he offered a couple of sh he, you know he only charged a couple of shilling and he he, he kind of brought people from um, um, from uh, from Loughborough to I don't remember to where to Leicester so his first mm. trip was from Loughborough to Leicester 
And what he did, he brought them to the countryside or to the seaside to kind of um, help them because he believed that the air of the seaside would help them against to help them heal and purify their spirit in a sense, right? Against the evil entity, which is alcohol, right? So he thought... Sorry, the reason we're laughing is because last year, Matthew and I took a trip to Brighton because we were so stressed. (laughs) (laughs) That's the concept. so happy. You know, that's the concept. That's the concept that Thomas Cook had. So Thomas Cook was a great, great guy. So he was the first one to offer a package store. So that means actually he offered, you know, kind of almost a, a comprehensive tour to people so he said to them actually if you pay me this much i will give you not only lunch but also i would like you know buy your train ticket and everything i will mm. guide you there we'll do activity and then we'll bring you back home it was great it was great but what what happened then so <laughs> the funny thing the aristocrat this is true by the way so the aristocrats who were somewhat living in the coast in the you know in the seaside of the coast they started seeing an amount of, you know, hundreds, slowly seeing hundreds of people flooding the beaches. Mm. Flooding the beaches. So, I'm not what really amused about that. <laughs> <laughs> they started having a sense of, like, not fear, but more, they, they, they turned against Thomas Cook. They were like, why are you doing this? You know, we don't want to be around them. So, like, actually, they started, um, they started actually appealing, you know, against him. And the good thing about him, he actually fought back at them and he started bringing even more. He opened an agency. His first ever agency started even bringing even more people, not only to the seaside, but to Spain. So actually his first overseas trip was in Spain. So it was amazing because, and then what happened to the aristocrats? They were forced to move back where? To the countryside. And they started, they started down. So the countryside uh, was London? Not London. So yeah. like in, 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 you know, like little citadels, little cities um, around, not around London, but kind of like Bath example. Bath is a good example. Yes. So they started moving into like a, what we call spa resorts or spa cities. Sure. So out from, away from, you know, the, the seaside. So like, because that's where Thomas Cook was bringing people to escape. Mm. To escape such stress yeah. and to escape such, you know, you know, uh, anyway, um, addictions that they were, you know, going through, through you know, the, the drinking and the yeah. abuse that they were kind of facing um, in such world. So it was quite interesting. So that divide was always there. But then Thomas Cook, anyway, the develop, the, there was the whole jet engine thing and, you know, and he started yeah. developing bigger trips and started moving out. People started flying people out to Spain and to, to the south of Spain, first to the north of Spain and then to the south. So that's why most resorts in Spain are actually very kind of, um, very British. You find your fish and chips pub in Spain. <laughs> yeah, and true. So what I'm trying to have say... Have you been to Spain? Yes, yeah. I've been this year, actually. Have you been to Spain? I have. It's very, it's very yeah. British. It's very British. There's a place that I used to go so, with my family called Torre Vieja. And it's basically an English colony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. it's, it's interesting, I think... I think but to yeah, kind anyway. Of, like, to kind of wrap up and sort of summarise, yeah. it's really sort of what we're talking about is the kind of... that The endless conflict between the kind of... The work that we have to do to live and our kind of desire to sort of <laughs> actually live. And you know, be to, people, yeah, be people. yeah. Sort of, yeah. To, be, <laughs> to be human and kind of express our creativity and actually, you know, relax and do the things we like doing. And you know, there's always there's that kind of proverb which is like, um, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, kind of thing. Mm. And it's it's difficult because mm. you know you still have to do work, even if we like sort of look back, you know, if we throw back sort of thousands, if not millions of years, to sort of when you know people were kind of. I mean, let's say sort of going back down the evolutionary tree, like people, the original people, like they still had to work, like they still had to go out and sort of fight and find their food 
you know, yeah. they'd have to work, they'd have to go out and they'd have to like, you know, hunt animals or like hunter gatherers and kind of pick berries and stuff like that to actually be able to even just survive as a, as a species. So even even then, like work comes comes from that survival. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point because I think I think a lot of older people. <laughs> but pardon it, me, saying sorry. Go sorry, on. no, no, no. Sorry. Yeah. But it goes back to that argument, though. Yes. Which such a we're what you know we live in such a millennial, let's say. That's era. exactly what I was well, going to say. Sorry, please yeah, yeah, go yeah. ahead. So no, but that's, uh, what, that's, what, that's what I mean because you know but it's a good point. It's it's, it's a, a good point. Uh, what you're saying there is is a, is, is a very millennial point of view, and I think. I think we may be criticised. We're all millennials, we're all millennials yes. in, in this in this room and in this house. If, if Lauren's arrived, um, <coughs> excuse me. But um, we may be criticised for having a certain point of view like this. But I think, I think, I think that's totally valid, because I would I would go a step further. Look, we we've done all this progress. We could feed the whole world three times over, but we don't. We focus on our own nationalism. I'm, this is where people. This is where I usually create a divide in people. I don't think it will create a divide here, but maybe people who are listening. I'm a complete globalist. I don't believe that ultimately we need to have classes. I ultimately don't believe that we need to have divisions in countries or in culture. I think people are very nationalistic when it comes to those kinds of like. Well, I believe this, and I am this, and this is my identity. But in in a hundred years. When hopefully we've evolved from all this mess. Hopefully starting here with millennials. Maybe maybe not. Maybe we've messed it up. Maybe the people after us. Um, surely we live in, in a unified world where the wealth is shared. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the wealth is shared. Everyone has their mm. basic needs. And everyone has n- not just the freedom, but the right to explore their freedom and creativity. And live as a human being. And work towards that. I would, I would, I would, love, I would love that. But really, what, what you're kind of to take this philosophical and what you're kind of describing there is like utopia, you know, where everyone, How is it utopia though? Because, because everyone in in that situation, everyone has their basic needs covered, yeah. so they don't need to sort of work hard just to survive. Yes. And they they are kind of free to express their creativity and kind of be who they who they want to be. Yes. And they live in this kind of you know this world where sort of, it, it you know it's perfect and they can do what they want to do. But actually, the reason why that doesn't happen, mm. the reason why, um, you know, we can feed the world three times over, but we don't, is because actually human greed already takes over that. And this has been, you know, this has been discussed in literature like so many yeah. times. Sort of utopian it's, it's a big one. So that's while, a valid point. While, that's a valid while, point. Yes. While actually, what you're saying is, I would absolutely love that, and ultimately, that is what the human race should be working towards. But it won't. It won't happen while this kind of human greed that we have still exists and you know while those that make the money just keep making the money and you know don't actually give it out to those you know places that are trying to redistribute the wealth and kind of you know actually make a better but life but it's definitely else. possible though because look you we mm. just talked about Thomas Cook we did right yes. someone who went out of his way to get to give people something that he, he believed stood up. they needed he's too right so sure yes. i i that's a very valid point because you know we're not we're not perfect and we are we are very flawed people and we're very greedy and we're very we're very dark human beings but i need to believe i need to have some kind of faith that we will be able to evolve from that yeah, but no, at some point I mean, we'll go look and you know i believe the time is now but maybe most people don't and that maybe that's part of the issue we we all believe different things we there's still a very strong division if you look at what's going on with brexit if you look at the us say, yes. it's such ridiculous 
bullshit that's going on. Excuse my French here. But, sorry, just no, to finish my sorry. point. Just finish my point. I need to believe that, you know, we'll get to a point where, where everyone in the world, at least everyone who is wealthy, will be able to go, this is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, See, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. There needs I agree to be a you, point. But even, look at the, even look at the US. Look at Barack Obama versus Donald Trump. Yes. Donald Trump has followed Barack Obama. So you could say, in hmm. some ways, we've regressed. We've gone backwards from that. Oh, we've definitely regressed. You know, we've definitely regressed. But that's regressed. even in the space of a few years. So we're sort that's of saying, true. okay, well, we need to progress to kind of this utopian ideal. But still, it won't. It won't happen. I don't well, think it, I uh, the, the thing. <laughs> this is a very, very gruesome thing to very... say. They have, you know, these people who who are so bent on this, you know, having making America great and not, you know, everyone for the, they're gonna die out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, there is there is a long way around. You the know, fu- the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is even if we say, you know, make America great again. There's always a cost to somebody else somewhere else. So even for even, now, even, for now, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, but in a hundred years, with the current rhetoric, you know, it's like, oh, let's make America great again by building a wall, you know, sending all the immigrants home, or all this kind of thing. What like, okay, yeah, sure, that makes America great for those that you know can actually live there exactly. and have that mindset. Exactly. But for those on the outside, like, actually, they're just screwed. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So you know, this that kind of ideal, it's it's so hard to proliferate that kind of uh, what's the word. Um, altruistic mindset mm. whereby everyone kind of you know wants to have you know everyone the human race all exist in this kind of better society and it's so difficult mm. but here's the thing like um, that's you know it makes you think like what I was saying again earlier I think I touched upon um, the power of, of the people right like we say like that democracy in a way so like what I'm trying to say actually in the past couple of years you know haven't heard, haven't seen, you know, Trump going back, you know, um, taking power in the US and um, us coming out of the EU, you know, us in the UK. Um, I was just thinking about how mm. actually we still rely on one leader. Like we still, although we think we've got the power to, to kind of influence society, we actually don't. We actually, I agree with Matthew, I think we've gone backwards quite a lot in a way where we actually still believe in one person making a difference and i guess it's true yeah, i guess enough, it's true but i think we we are a bit you know we kind of deluded i think we're kind of stupid in a way i'm sorry for you no no that, i totally agree because if you think about it most of you if you think about this like how can a person like donald trump come to power so that means the majority of the people who voted somewhat i don't know found this person or his lies likable but now look at him now what i'm trying to say is why do we rely on one individual to kind of shape and form so, our living and society? So that I, is yeah. so like, why don't we take a stand? But again, people are scared. But people, people are also divided. That's divided. the thing. This is what I was so going to say. This is there. the problem. But what do we do from here? So it's open to the table. What do we do from here? Well, we need, we, I, I so think... Let's, I, let's make this the last point. because we've Yeah, yeah fine. Yes. Personally, personally, I think, I think it's healthy to have a leader. I do think that. I, I completely agree with you that it's not up to this one person, right? We all need to do something. But I think if we have the right leader, the right person in power, in, in whether it be a country or, or the entire world, that will make a difference. Right now, we have a shithead in power. We have a person who's abused women, who has known nothing but wealth in life, who's completely spoiled, who doesn't give a shit about anything, doesn't know anything about anything. You know, there are, but there are people who are alive now who in the future could be in that position who are, who are good people, 
who yeah. who have these principles and maybe it won't be perfect good point but maybe it'll be better i mean hopefully evolutionary it has because look it's very interesting we've definitely gone at least the u.s we've definitely gone backwards they've become it's become a very propi i mean obviously i'm biased for me progress means globalization that is my personal viewpoint and people don't have to agree with that in fact most people i talk to don't agree with that and that's fine but here's the thing I have to say this, I, I actually get the other side as well. Recently I was in a shoot and um, it was a very high brand shoot, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say who it was, but it was it was a sports shoot for a um, for a press. <laughs> it was it was it was up there, okay. Right. And it was this interview and I, I I was just operating the cameras and all of that, I wasn't asking the interviews or anything. And um, this man comes in of mm. um, the person who's being interviewed, this sorry, the person who's being interviewed's father comes in. An older, richer guy, and you know, he's a rich guy now, but he wasn't always rich. Very important to point out. And he was complaining about Brexit. And um, basically, the guy who was interviewing the other guy, he was, I know this is very vague, just bear with me. The guy who was interviewing was um, uh, to remain. And the, f the, the father who came into the room was like, no, we should have left a long time ago. And his argument was... We've let all the poor people in. He said these things. He said these words, sorry. He said, we've let all the people into the country and that, that's why the country's now gone to shit. Because we have the obligation to take care of everyone. And you know what? For a second, because, well, because there's, the government's just not going to let people exist. They have to kind of take care of them. You know, there's the, there's the public appeal and then, then there's the image they have to maintain and, you know, just human rights and all that sort of thing, right? So, like, if somebody comes seeking asylum in the UK, which happens a lot, the UK just can't, can't just turn them down. That's, that's inhumane, right? But what this guy was saying is, we've let all these people in, so now we have to spend more money on them, therefore the whole country suffers. And you know what? For a moment, I went, do you know what? He has a point. He has a point. Like, as a country, that is not the smart thing to do. And I went home that day, and I thought to myself, Wow, that as again, sorry, yeah, I'm repeating myself. As a country, as a country, that makes sense. But as a globalist, as someone who believes that if if we're really going to take the human condition seriously and take care of everyone, then we just can't. We can't think in terms of one country. Mm. So yeah, therefore, I thought to myself, then that com that completely goes out the window. Yeah. Like the whole point of the European Union is that we help each yes, other. Yes, I was about to say right? that. Thank you for talking so about yes. So imagine yes. a global union in which we all help each other. I mean, for God's sakes, Africa is still a mess. There's still there's still people dying it's every one day. One of the Do we care? country uh, continents in in the world though. It just well, it just the prime. Not, not is, all of is, it, is it? It's a mean, developing country. It's a well, well. With, I mean, Africa's filled with different kinds of countries. Obviously, it's, it's got a lot of resources. The thing is, they don't know yeah. how to harvest those resources, so people from other like continents are coming in, wealthier people, to take over that and bring those resources. People elsewhere. don't like to be so that's the taken care thing. of. Like, it's, it's like hard. if if, if the UK went into anyway. a country in Africa. Which has happened. I mean, with India. Well, anyway, that's a different. Yeah, it's a different topic. If sorry. if if if, a, if a first world country went to a developing country and said, "Look, we're going to take over the country, okay? And you're going to have X and Y and Z um, benefits." The 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 most likely out outcome is that the country will go, "No, we'll just do it ourselves because we are we are we are this country and we don't want to lose this country." For me, that is the stupidest thing in the world, hmm. because honestly, that 
yes, I'm sure that the first world country coming into the developing country hasn't doesn't have complete altruistic motives. I'm sure there's some kind of oil or something that they want in return. But ah, oh, this is just so frustrating. Um, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, like as a human race. We should take care of ourselves all together, all of us, and we don't want to, and we don't care. But that's what we should do. That's what I believe. End yeah, it's fine. <laughs> to end that, to end that, I think we, in other words, we're just too worried of what's going on in our own individual life. So we live in these little bubbles that have me, 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 my problems, my life. You know, we, mm. we. I, I wish we had. Oh, that's what millennials. Kind of that's what millennials. <laughs> that's what millennials. Are, like you touched upon, they're very important. And that's where if everyone felt like you or like us in this room, yeah. then there will be a whole new world. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And I think yeah. this is a good time. But anyway, that touches one on a completely different topic. It's a, cool. I we mean, should cover yeah. it. We, we should, should cover it. But we should cover it. We should cover this. You just, yeah, well. But anyway. <laughs> we don't have time now. Sorry. We don't have time now. But okay, anyway, we will continue this on some other conversation. We have a lot of conversations coming along. Um, thank you so much for listening to us rant. Rant or rant? Rant. 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 Why did I say rant? Shut up, Thank you for listening to us. Just just talk nonsense for I don't know how long it's been now. Yes. It's been an absolute pleasure. We're going to be it here is. every week talking about all kinds of things. I think one of the things we're going to talk about is the Enneagram, which we were supposed to cover today, but never mind that. We will talk about um, one of the topics we want to cover is called dope physics, in which we'll talk about quantum realm, um, time travel, light particles, all this sort of thing. Ricardo has looking at me with a blank stare. What, <laughs> what? on earth <laughs> is going on? But you know what? Your whole all, of, all, all the history you taught us. I don't think Matthew and I knew no, that. I genuinely didn't. Know. Right. So this is all about sharing each other's knowledge, and uh, some of it might be misplaced. That's okay. This 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 is a, this is a learning process for everyone involved, us making it, and you, the audience, listening to it. So um, that is goodbye from Ricardo. Yes. Thank goodbye from much. Matthew. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. See you next time.